This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of high ankle sprain and syndesmosis injury from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. High ankle sprain and syndesmosis injuries are traumatic injuries that affect the distal tibiofibular ligaments and most commonly occur due to sudden external rotation of the ankle. Diagnosis is suspected clinically with tenderness over the syndesmosis, which worsens with squeezing of the tibia and fibula together at the mid-calf. Plain stress radiographs of the ankle are required to diagnose complete syndesmosis injuries with tibiofibular diastasis. Treatment is non-operative for syndesmotic sprains without diastasis or ankle instability. Operative management is indicated for patients with diastasis of the tibiofibular joint or injuries with associated fractures. Now, let's get into the episode. As far as the epidemiology, the incidence of syndesmosis injury is 0.5% of all ankle sprains without fracture and 13% of all ankle fractures. With respect to the pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury is most commonly associated with external rotation injuries. As far as the pathoanatomy, external rotation forces the talus to rotate laterally and push the fibula away from the tibia. This may lead to increased compressive stresses seen by the tibia, increased likelihood of lateral subluxation of the distal fibula, and incongruence of the ankle joint articulation. Associated injuries with high ankle sprains include osteochondral defects in 15 to 25% of patients, perineal tendon injuries in up to 25% of patients, and ankle fracture patterns like Weber B and Weber C distal fibula fractures. Other associated injuries could include fifth metatarsal base fractures, anterior process of the calcaneus fractures, lateral or posterior process of the talus fractures, deltoid ligament injury, and loose bodies. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. As far as ligaments, the distal tibiofibular syndesmosis includes the anterior inferior tibiofibular ligaments, or AITFL, the posterior inferior tibiofibular ligaments, or PITFL, the interosseous membrane, the interosseous ligament, and the inferior transverse ligament, or ITL. The anterior inferior tibiofibular ligaments, or AITFL, originates from the anterolateral tubercle of the tibia, aka Chaput's tubercle, and the AITFL inserts on the anterior tubercle of the fibula, aka Wagstaff's tubercle. The posterior inferior tibiofibular ligament, or PITFL, originates from the posterior tubercle of the tibia, aka Volkmann's tubercles, which inserts on the posterior part of the lateral malleolus, which is the strongest component of the syndesmosis. The interosseous ligament, or IOL, is the distal continuation of the interosseous membrane and the main restraint to proximal migration of the talus. As far as syndesmosis biomechanics, the function of the syndesmosis is to maintain integrity between the tibia and the fibula, as well as resist axial, rotational, and translational forces. In terms of motion of the syndesmosis, during dorsiflexion, the wider anterior talus engages the ankle mortis, while the distal fibula externally rotates and translates proximally and posterolaterally. During plantar flexion, the narrow posterior talus engages the ankle mortis, while the distal fibula internally rotates and translates distally and anteromedially. In terms of normal gait, the syndesmosis widens 1 mm during gait. As far as the deltoid ligament, this indirectly stabilizes the medial ankle mortis. As far as the presentation of high ankle sprains, symptoms include anterolateral ankle pain proximal to the AITFL. These patients may have medial-sided ankle tenderness slash swelling. They may also have difficulty bearing weight. However, lateral ankle sprains are often able to bear weight. 
On physical exam in these patients, palpation may reveal syndesmosis tenderness, which is the single best predictor for return to play. Provocative tests include the squeeze test or Hopkins test, which is compression of the tibia and fibula at the mid-calf level that causes pain at the syndesmosis. An external rotation test is pain over the syndesmosis, which is elicited with external rotation slash dorsiflexion of the foot with the knee and hip flex to 90 degrees. The cotton test is widening of the syndesmosis with the lateral pull on the fibula. This is usually done intraoperatively. Fibular translation is when anterior and posterior drawer forced to the fibula with the tibia stabilized causes increased translation of the fibula and pain. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP, lateral, and mortis views of the ankle, as well as an AP and lateral of the entire tibia, which may show fracture of the proximal fibula. Optional views include an external rotation stress radiograph, a gravity stress view, which will help determine the competence of the deltoid ligament, contralateral ankle radiographs, which may help clarify syndesmosis widening versus normal anatomic variants. Findings on radiographs in these patients may include a decreased tibiofibular overlap, and for contacts, normal is greater than 6 mm on AP view and greater than 1 mm on mortise view. You may also see increased medial clear space on radiographs in these patients. Normal is less than or equal to 4 mm. And finally, you may see an increased tibiofibular clear space. Normal is less than 6 mm on both AP and mortise views. CT is indicated if you have clinical suspicion of syndesmotic injury with normal radiographs. This can be useful postoperatively to assess reduction of the syndesmosis after fixation. As CT is more sensitive than radiographs for detecting minor degrees of syndesmotic injury. MRI is also indicated if you have clinical suspicion of syndesmotic injury with normal radiographs. As far as sensitivity and specificity, the lambda sign is described as being highly sensitive and specific for detecting syndesmotic injury. With respect to treatment of high ankle sprains, non-operative and operative options exist. Non-operative management in the form of non-weight bearing in a cam boot or cast for two to three weeks is indicated for a syndesmotic sprain without diastasis or ankle instability. You will basically delay weight bearing until these patients are pain-free. Physical therapy programs will usually use a brace that limits external rotation. As far as outcomes for these injuries, they typically display a notoriously prolonged and highly variable recovery period. Recovery may extend to twice that of a standard ankle sprain. Operative intervention involves syndesmosis screw fixation, which is indicated for syndesmotic sprain without fracture with instability on stress radiographs, syndesmotic sprain refractory to conservative management, or syndesmotic injury with associated fracture that remains unstable after fixation of the fracture. As far as outcomes, there are excellent functional outcomes if the syndesmosis is accurately reduced. And keep in mind that syndesmosis screws will require removal. Syndesmosis fixation with a suture button has the same indications as for screw fixation, and as far as the technique, a fiber wire suture with two buttons is tensioned around the syndesmosis. This may be performed in addition to a screw. And as far as outcomes for this option, Early results are promising with some showing earlier return to activity when compared to screw fixation, and the advantage of this option is obviously that it does not require removal. The surgical techniques for syndesmotic screw fixation involve two 3.5 or 4.5 millimeter syndesmotic screws through three or four cortices placed two to five centimeters above the plafond. As far as screw material, there is no difference between stainless steel and titanium screws. Bioabsorbable screws have similar outcomes. 
And as far as the number of cortices, there is no difference between three or four cortices. As far as the number of screws, fixation with two screws is preferable. With respect to the position of the foot during fixation, a recent study challenges the principle of holding the ankle in maximal dorsiflexion to avoid over-tightening. The post-operative course involves non-weight bearing for 6 to 12 weeks, which may be prolonged if screw breakage is a concern. The major complication to go over for syndesmotic injuries is post-traumatic tibiofibular synostosis, which has an incidence of approximately 10% after Weber C ankle fractures. Treatment includes surgical excision, which is reserved for persistent pain that fails to respond to non-surgical management. And keep in mind that ossification must be cold on bone scintography prior to removal. As far as the prognosis for high ankle sprains and syndesmosis injuries, missed injuries may result in end-stage ankle arthritis. However, there are excellent functional outcomes if the syndesmosis is anatomically reduced. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A football player develops a synostosis between the distal tibia and fibula eight months following treatment for a high ankle sprain. What is the most appropriate indication and timing for surgical excision? And the choices are 1. Chronic lateral ankle instability at any time. 2. Progressive loss of plantar flexion at any time. 3. Progressive loss of plantar flexion and increased uptake on bone scan. 4. Persistent pain despite non-operative treatment and no uptake on bone scan. And 5. Persistent pain despite non-operative treatment and hot on bone scan. The correct answer to this question is 4. Persistent pain despite non-operative treatment and no uptake on bone scan. So post-traumatic tibiofibular synostosis may occur following a high ankle sprain where the interosseous membrane was disrupted. The heterotopic ossification usually develops within 6 to 12 months. Typically, patients are able to return to sports despite the lack of normal ankle dorsiflexion and mobility between the tibia and fibula. Surgical excision is reserved for persistent pain that fails to respond to non-surgical management once the ossification is cold, aka does not show increased uptake on bone scan. Whiteside et al. described the first case series back in 1978 with six professional athletes who developed a tib-fib synostosis following high ankle sprain. Henry subsequently described it in professional basketball players. Albers et al. reported on 15 synostosis following 230 operatively treated ankle fractures. These were usually Weber C fractures, and the result at final follow-up was similar to other patients without synostoses. Moving on to the next question. Which test for acute syndesmotic injury of the ankle has the fewest false positive results and smallest inter-observer variance when used interoperatively? And the choices are 1. Squeeze test, 2. Fibular translation, 3. Cotton test, 4. External rotation stress test, and 5. Anterior drawer. The correct answer to this question is 4. External rotation stress test. So the aforementioned tests help in diagnosing syndesmotic injuries. For an external rotation stress test, the knee is flexed 90 degrees and the ankle is in neutral. Stabilizing the tibia and fibula with one hand, the examiner externally rotates the ankle with the other. Widening of the syndesmosis indicates a positive test. This test method has been recently shown to have the fewest false positive results and most accurate diagnostic abilities. 
the lateral stress test, or cotton test, has previously been shown to have the least false positive results in an acute syndesmotic injury. In the cotton test, the fibula is attempted to be pulled laterally, and widening of the syndesmosis would therefore indicate syndesmosis injury. Bumer et al. tested the squeeze, fibula translation, cotton, and external rotation tests. None of the syndesmotic tests was uniformly positive in chronic syndesmotic injury. The fibular translation test had the most false positive results. Stoffel et al. performed a cadaveric study that found that the cotton test produced a significantly greater increase in the tibiofibular clear space than did the external rotation test for Weber C injuries and Weber C plus deltoid ligament injuries. A greater increase in the tibiofibular clear space was noted during the lateral stress test when both the deltoid and the anterior-inferior tibiofibular ligament had been sectioned. Matiseski et al. presented a prospective series of 28 patients undergoing ankle fracture fixation and compared intraoperative testing methods of the syndesmosis. They reported that compared with the cotton test, stress external rotation demonstrated a 35% increase in medial clear space widening. And moving on to the final question, a 38-year-old competitive slalom skier is making a turn to the left around a pole. The right ski sticks in the snow, causing external rotation of the right ski and boot. Which of the following ankle ligaments is most likely to be the initial structure injured? And the choices are 1. Calcaneofibular ligament, 2. Anterior inferior tibiofibular ligament, 3. Deep deltoid ligament, 4. Superficial deltoid ligament, and 5. Anterior talofibular ligament. The correct answer to this question is 2, anterior-inferior tibiofibular ligament. So high ankle sprains are external rotation injuries of the ankle and syndesmosis. They often occur in competitive slalom skiers, and the anterior-inferior tibiofibular ligament is the initial ligament injured. External rotation of the foot on the leg causes the talus to press against the lateral malleolus. The rotational movement first affects the anterior-inferior tibiofibular ligament of the syndesmosis. If external rotation continues, the interosseous membrane and then the posterior tibiofibular ligament will be injured. The review article by Clanton indicates the anterior-inferior tibiofibular ligament is the most commonly injured ligament in ankle sprains where the mechanism of injury is external rotation. This occurs regardless of the position of the foot at the time of injury. Pure dorsiflexion causes the interosseous ligaments to tighten, and abduction on a neutral ankle can cause interosseous injury when preceded by deltoid injury or medial malleolus fracture. So the correct answer to this question is 2, anterior inferior tibiofibular ligament. That's all for this review about high ankle sprain and syndesmosis injury. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.